all right, well, so King Jehoshaphat, um, I like to think that if he was around today, he'd just be J-Fat. You know, we always got to cut things short and come up with the funny names. And um, I guess he would actually be the original P-H-Fat, old King Jehoshaphat. And so let's dive into this today. Um, as his father was moving towards the end of his reign and his kingdom, he'd been a pretty faithful guy, King Asa. Um, unfortunately, as he neared the end of his reign, um, he compromised and he, he didn't trust in the Lord in a specific way. And, and so during, um, during kind of this correction in his life, um, this prophet comes to him and speaks on behalf of the Lord. And he says some important words about the Lord specifically and, and the kind of person, the kind of people God is looking for. And so this is going to really set the tone, um, not just for this morning's message, but really sets the tone for Jehoshaphat's life. Asa's son um, becomes one of these kinds of people. And so let's read this. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It's the first part of verse 9. And the prophet is talking and he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So God is actively looking for someone who has a blameless heart that is turned towards him, that is pursuing him. And God is searching all over the earth for people like this. And he's ready to give them strong support. That's the idea. Now, when we hear that word blameless, um, it really, that's not the best word, I don't think, to really fully capture what this word means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean we never make mistakes. That's not really what it means. It means wholeheartedly. It means whole or complete. So kind of with all my heart, with my whole heart, with my complete heart, I'm moving towards the Lord. It also means peace and specifically relational peace. So, so it means my heart is turned towards having peace with God. I want to be in right relationship with Him. I want to find myself whole and complete in Him. And so the idea is that God is looking for people who are pursuing wholeness and peace with Him. And His desire is to give strong support on their behalf. Listen, friends, if you get nothing else out of this story this morning, I hope you hear that. God longs to give strong support to us, aiding us in our wholeness, in our completeness, in having peace right here, right now with Him. That's our God, and that's His heart towards us. And the story of First and Second Kings and now First and Second Chronicles is that few find that peace. Many of these kings and certainly the people in their kingdom the theme is that over and over and over again, their hearts are turned away from the Lord, not towards Him. And so we arrive on the scene now here to King Jehoshaphat, and he's different. He's set apart. And so I want you to get a sense of the kind of guy that he is. And so he shows up on the scene now in chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, and we're going to read verses 3 through 6 to get a sense of how Jehoshaphat's heart was towards the Lord. So the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, this is verse 3, because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, 
But he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the practices of Israel. Make note of that. It's talking about the northern kingdom, those ten tribes. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat. And he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the Asherim out of Judah. So Jehoshaphat's heart was towards the Lord. He's exactly what was being talked about to his father Asa, that God's looking for someone like this. And one of the things you know, we notice here, if we really pay attention, is having a heart that's toward the Lord involves action. It involves seeking, walking, living in his ways, being courageous. Um, listen, guys, having a heart towards the Lord isn't just some uh, moment in time where we make a decision in our heart. It is the very movement of our lives. It's the journey of our lives is moving towards the Lord. And specifically, the writer here says, King Jehoshaphat, he stood out. He was in contrast to all of Israel, the northern kingdom. And so his domain, his kingdom of Judah it was established rightly and God did show strong support on his behalf because he, the movement of his life, the journey of his life was towards completeness, peace, and wholeness with the Lord in contrast to Israel. Now, what we're going to do together this morning is I want to look at two specific movements of his life, two moments in time and how he navigated and see how his heart was towards the Lord and what that did in his life, what that produced in him and how God did show up and give strong support in the life of Jehoshaphat. And so I hope that we'll hear this together. Now, one of the first things that we see happens um, as he begins to move forward in his reign is, you know, he, he does some really good things. Um, he puts action to how he feels in his heart. And so he brings some reforms and he's teaching the people God's ways He's tearing down old idols, and things have kind of been settled and established. And as his kingdom is getting established and there's some peace, Ahab, the king of the northern tribe of Israel, the kingdom that's not walking with the Lord, Ahab, the guy who was married to, to Jezebel, and there's, they're notorious. They're a notorious couple. There's a lot of stories about them in the Bible. Their lives intersected with the prophet Elijah, and there was a lot of conflict there. This king Ahab reaches out to Jehoshaphat, wanting to form an alliance. And so let's kind of pick up the story here because it seems to make sense. You know, these people are still related to us. Um, we're all Israel. We're all a part of Abraham's family and they want to align with us. And so it seems like the smart, right thing to do. And so picking up in verse one now of Second Chronicles chapter 18, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. So Ahab's daughter and Jehoshaphat's son get married. And so now, you know, we could say Japhat becomes Japhab. Him and Ahab make this alliance. All right, I couldn't help it. I had to make my cheesy joke. Um, so here's Japhab, Jehoshaphat and Ahab uniting together in an alliance. Their kids get married. And they're trying to say, hey, we're, we're in this together. We got each other's back. Now, I, I think it's worth mentioning that it notes that Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. 
And it's in that context that Ahab suddenly wants to make an alliance with him. Now, a few more years go along, and we pick up in verse 2. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab throws a party. He, he pulls out all the stops. He kills an abundance of sheep and oxen for Jehoshaphat and for the people who were with him, and he induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. These are the Syrians, the Syrian army. So he wines and dines him in order to convince him, hey, bro, hey, brother, we're aligned. Our kids are married. Hey, I need your help. Why don't you come fight this battle with me? Verse 3, Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me? I mean, he's pulling out all the stops and just lays it out, clear as can be. Will you come with me? And Jehoshaphat answered him, I am as you are. My people are your people. We will be with you in the war. Now listen, this seems to be a good, right, smart decision. We've made an alliance with the North. We're related to them. They're a part of Abraham's family. You know, there's these 12 original tribes. Maybe this is the right, smart thing to do to be united back together. And he says, hey, we'll go to war with you because we're one with you. You're us and we are you. And so Jehoshaphat makes this decision. From this point forward in the story, Jehoshaphat operates as if him and Ahab are aligned in purpose, in their thinking, and that they're united in relationship. Hey, we, we look alike, we think alike, we seem to be on the same page. And so Jehoshaphat just assumes we're aligned. But as we're going to see, there was plenty of evidence that they were not aligned. Ahab was a, a wicked king who often rejected the voice of God and who led his people astray. But Jehoshaphat was missing this. He was missing this. And he aligned with him because it seemed right and seemed smart. And they kind of looked alike. They kind of seemed to have some of the same ideology and thinking. And so he aligns with him. So Jehoshaphat, the next step is he says, hey, before we go to war, you know, here's what I would do. I would, I would seek God and see what he thinks. And so let's call some prophets. And so Ahab calls a bunch of prophets and it's, it's the typical guys. It's the false prophets who always tell him what he wants to hear. And so he gathers all these guys together and they say, hey, yeah, you're going to be successful. Go for it. And Jehoshaphat's kind of like, man, you got, you got anybody else? <laughs> these guys seem a little shady. I'm not sure about these guys. And so he goes, well, there is this one prophet that always gives me a bad report. And so they call this prophet in and he comes and at first he agrees with these guys. Oh yeah, no, you should go. That would be good. And Ahab presses him a little bit. Wait a minute, you've never given me a good report. And he says, okay, truthfully, King Ahab, your people are going to be fine, um, but you're going to die. In fact, he says specifically, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered, but they will all return to their homes. And so Ahab is furious, throws the guy in prison, and all this is unfolding right there in front of Jehoshaphat. And Ahab convinces him, hey, let's still go to battle. It'll be all right. And so Jehoshaphat agrees. Now watch what Ahab does here. This is, this is unbelievable if we catch this. Verses 29 and 30 now in chapter 18. And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle but you wear your robes. Now on the surface, this seems smart, right? 
hey, the prophet said, I'm the one that's going to die. Everybody else is going to make it. You know, I don't believe him. We threw him in prison. But just in case, let me disguise myself and maybe that'll help me stay safe. And so the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. But verse 30, now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. I want you to catch this. Ahab is playing Jehoshaphat. He's saying, you stay in your kingly robes. I'm going to disguise myself. Guess who the target is on now? The target's on Jehoshaphat. Listen, what seemed like a smart alliance, it seemed like a smart alliance to Jehoshaphat because he's good-hearted. He's a good guy and he thinks rightly towards God and rightly towards other people. And he's this good-hearted, trusting guy. But listen, he's, he's kind of clumsy. And, and we'll see, he kind of, he kind of at times is, is uncertain and makes some bad decisions. And so in his good-hearted, trusting way, he goes along with this. Ahab, on the other hand, man, this guy is smart and he's cunning and he's ruthless. And he's willing to put Jehoshaphat's life on the line in order to protect himself. And so they go out to battle, Ahab's disguised, Jehoshaphat, it's clear that he's the king, he's wearing his kingly robes, and now he's in real trouble because the Syrian army has a target on him. Verse 31, as soon as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. They thought he was Ahab. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. Yeah, I bet he did. He freaked out. That cried out. It literally means like, ah, <laughs> he panics. He's realizing what's happening. They're all coming against me. Now, listen, before we go any further here, I, I just want to see want you to see this. Even though Jehoshaphat had made a huge mistake aligning with Ahab, he made a bad decision. He made a clumsy decision. This good-hearted guy who trusted God, who unfortunately trusted Ahab, but his heart was toward the Lord, God rescued him. Um, you know, this might be a silly example, but I'm kind of the king of silly examples. Um, if, if you know my son Micah, um, one of my favorite things about him is watching him when he's driving um, like a Power Wheels Jeep or riding around in his bike. And my wife and I have laughed for years. Um, we've joked that he's like Mr. Magoo out there. I mean, when he, when he is out there riding around, he's having a blast. He's happy-go-lucky, and he's rarely looking in front of him. He's looking everywhere else. I mean, I have specific memories of him driving this little Jeep truck around, his little power wheel. You know, he's pressing all the buttons. He's looking backwards as he's driving. He's looking at all the other kids. And regularly, he'd be driving, and I mean, he's right on the verge of disaster. Like, there's the mailbox. He's headed right towards it. He's looking everywhere else, and it's like, oh, there's the mailbox. And one of my favorite things about him is he just kind of casually go whoop and avoid it like it was nothing, like he knew it was there all along, even though he had no clue two seconds before because he wasn't looking. He just kind of had this clumsy approach, but he always ends up okay. He's never had like a major wreck on his bike or his Jeep. Well, listen, as silly as that is, that's kind of what Jehoshaphat has going on. He's clumsy. He's missing things. He's not noticing all the little things maybe he should be 
able to recognize. You know, he's not necessarily the smartest guy, but he's a good-hearted dude. He trusts God. And God, who is looking for people like that and wants to be strong on their behalf, God shows up right here and helps him. And so here's Jehoshaphat. These guys are coming after him. And he cries out in verse 31, And the Lord helped him. And God drew them away from him. For as soon as the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Listen, I love this about God. People who love him and trust him and follow him, man, we get in our own way sometimes. If you're anything like me, maybe you do that too. I get in my own way. I make mistakes. I think I'm doing the right thing or making a good decision. And then I, I take some steps in that direction and discover, oh man, that, that wasn't the right thing. But God in his faithfulness, man, he guards and he protects us. And so even in the midst of Jehoshaphat's kind of clumsy, poor decision-making, God protects him. Thank God for his grace. Now Ahab and all his brilliance and cunning, his ruthlessness, here he is kind of blending in with everybody else. But guess what? He wasn't so lucky. Verse 33, But a certain man drew his bow at random. Hmm, I wonder how random that was and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. So he just happened to find this little hole in his armor. And therefore the king said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. And as the battle continued that day, the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening. Then at sunset, he died. See, even Ahab with all his brilliance, all his strategy, all his, his, out, his trying to outthink not only his enemy, but even supposedly his friends that he turns on, that he tricks. Even in the midst of all of that, his defeat was sure. See, he had a way of living that was destined for defeat. And Jehoshaphat had a way of living that was destined for life. God's hand was upon him. And so Jehoshaphat returns from battle, and there's an important lesson to be learned. I want you guys to hear this this morning. As he's, he's, he's about to, we're going to pick the story up here in chapter 19 in just a second. He's about to return home to Jerusalem. And this prophet Jehu, I like to think of Jehu as like the bouncer of Israel. Um, he's one of those prophets that was a real man of action. Um, he shows up, we can read about him in 2 Kings, but he shows up and he kind of cleans house and gets rid of some folks that shouldn't be around anymore in Israel. But he travels down from Israel to talk to Jehoshaphat about what's just happened, because Jehu knows all about Ahab. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1 now, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord. He says, dude, you thought Ahab was your brother and he's not. He hates the Lord, he's wicked, he's against him. Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. 
He said, listen, buddy, you blew it. You aligned yourself with the wrong guy. And God's upset about that. But he sees your true character. He sees your heart towards him. And because of that, his hand is still upon you. You're going to be all right. But you need to learn for this. Watch who you align yourself with. Watch what battles you're fighting. That wasn't even your battle. You should have never gone up there. The Lord didn't tell you to go up there. You picked a battle that wasn't yours. Joshua was good-hearted, had good intentions, but he made a wrong alliance and he fought the wrong battle. Now listen, I want to talk to you guys for a minute about our cultural moment. And I believe this is relevant for our specific moment, but it goes beyond just, you know, this season we're in with the coronavirus. But I, I want to use it as a backdrop, as an example to talk to us about some things we should consider in light of this this morning. We need to consider what are we fighting for? What are we aligning with? What's the right battle and the right approach that God would call us to? Listen, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. This, this might be about to be an unpopular opinion, but it's mind-boggling to me in this current moment all the things we're stirred up about and what we're focused on, the things that seem to matter so much to us. I mean, there's, there's so much opinion and anger. Um, there's this race to be right. I want to be the right person with the right idea who has the right pro- approach, and I want to let all the people who have the wrong approach know about it. And if that's not enough, I want to make sure I've got the expert that's the right expert. And so I've got this mentality like my expert is better than your expert. And there's this race to be right. And it's, it's unbelievable to me. Guys, three to six months ago, none of us had ever even heard of a coronavirus. And suddenly we have a bunch of pandemic response warriors like we've got it all figured out. And then we're fighting about it. We're arguing with each other and we're defending our opinion and our turf. And I just, I just want to encourage you to stop and think, is that even the battle we should be fighting right now? Guys, there's two ways to live. Let's learn from Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And I, I want you to consider this. Paul, Paul encourages us as Christians. I, I'm not talking about choosing between following Jesus and not following Jesus. I'm saying as believers, as followers of Jesus, what is our approach to navigating life? and to dealing with difficult circumstances. Is it a race to be right and to have the right opinion and express it strongly and challenge other people with it? Is that the right approach? Is that what I should be focused on as a believer? Well, Paul lays out for us in Galatians chapter 5, two approaches to living. And I, I want us to lean into this. And I want to encourage you this morning. Forget what everybody else around us might be doing. You and me, right here this morning, what is is guiding my heart? What's guiding my approach? What am I looking towards and pursuing right now? I want you to consider this. So Paul writes in Galatians 5, 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
there is a battle that rages. There is this fleshly, normal instinct in us that heads a certain direction, but it actually wars against having a heart towards God, a heart led by His Spirit. And so Paul says, hey, let me help you figure out where you may be. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now stop right there. Don't read ahead. If you're like me, you get to that point and go, okay, yeah. I mean, Jake, why are you reading that? I know that stuff's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing that. What are you talking about? I want you to pay attention to all the words that he uses next and try some of these on for size. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I mean, he just lays it out. Fighting, arguing, being divided, fits of anger, like take, taking my turf, standing up for my viewpoint, fighting for my thing, being envious and jealous of where other people are at. And he goes on, Drunkens and, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not what God's kingdom looks like. Anger, divisions, fightings, that's not it. I, I just, I want to encourage you, try some of those on for size. I mean, even drunkenness was in there. You know, am I just kind of like, ah, forget all of this. Like, let me have another glass of wine and just, you know, tune it all out. He doesn't call us to that way of, of thinking or living. Listen, real talk. I think that far too many of us are focused right now on being right instead of on being good. We would rather, whether we mean to or not, look more like Ahab, the guy that's got it figured out, the guy that's smart and brilliant. Maybe I don't want to be associated with a clumsy guy like Jehoshaphat, but, but Jehoshaphat was a good-hearted man who pursued the Lord. A certain political party or cultural ideology is not the answer and it is not our true place. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And the question is, what are we going to be about in that kingdom? What's the real fight and who should we really be aligned with? And Paul tells us, he says, here's what it looks like to be walking in the spirit. Verses 22 and 23 now of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. I mean, man, I could, I could talk for an hour on this stuff right now. Is that, what, is that what's permeating our lives right now? Does the church, the church in America, look like a group of people who are operating in love right now, who are filled with joy and peace because we realize we're going to be okay in the midst of the storm? Does it look like a group of people who are patient and knowing we will be all right because our God's got us and we can endure the season we're in? Are we walking in kindness and goodness? Are we faithful and recognizing the faithfulness of God? Are we experiencing and, and giving 
and operating in gentleness and self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no law of our land. There's no rule or restriction that can be given that keep me from letting God be my king and letting his spirit rule and reign in my life. This is the battle we should be fighting. A battle to have a heart towards God. The real question should be, is this way of living permeating my life? Is this what is welcome in my home? And then is this how I'm interacting with a world in need? The world around us doesn't need more opinions. The world around us needs the presence of God. Am I inviting Jesus to be my king? Is my heart looking towards him? Or um, am I more like Ahab? Am I just living out of the flesh right now? And am I wrapped up in envy and jealousy and drunkenness and fits of anger and divisions and strife, fighting for my right opinion and aligning with people who are not even with me? We got to be careful of that. Acting like people are part of the family of God who aren't. Acting like they're aligned with us and blindly following that and thinking, well, our thinking is aligned. Our way of viewing God in the world is aligned. Be careful. Be careful. We're a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. And let's listen to his voice. And let's invite his spirit to come and change us. Let's be more interested in being good than in being right. I I had this really strong memory when I was a kid. I I was in eighth grade. I've been playing on the basketball team that year. And um, it was the first year that I started to kind of figure out how to play basketball a little bit. I still wasn't great, but I was getting better at it. And at the end of the year, our team would have these awards. And I'll just, I'll never forget this. Um, We get to the end of the year and the awards are being read out. And, you know, there's things like the MVP of the team and stuff like that. And so I'm sitting there, my name gets called and I get really excited. And the award was the Christian Character Award. And you know what my reaction was as an eighth grade kid? I was mad. (laughs) I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be the kid on the team that had a nice attitude. I wanted to be the team MVP. I wanted to be the winner. I wanted to be the, the powerful one that was playing great and everybody looked to it. And it's like, oh, he got the Christian Character Award. And it actually, it bummed me out. And guys, I, I hate what that exposed about me. But unfortunately, I think that exposes something in a lot of us. We... We'd rather be right and brilliant and smart and have it all figured out than be associated with someone like a Jehoshaphat who's kind of clumsy and didn't have it all figured out, but had a good heart. As we wrap this up this morning, I just, I want you to see this closing story in his life. I'm going to take about five minutes with this. And there's just some simple things about how he viewed this moment in his life and how he approached it that I, I believe will give us some some strengthening and some encouragement about how we can walk forward, all right? So this is the second movement in Jehoshaphat's life. If the first one was this smart alliance with Ahab, the second movement we're going to see is a humble reliance upon God. And so Jehoshaphat now in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, his kingdom is about to be attacked. The Moabites, the Ammonites, they're coming against him. 
And so we're picking this up in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 now. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Menunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you. Then verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. For all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. You know, the real battle isn't the one we need to go out looking for. The real battle is the one that shows up at your doorstep. And the question is, when it shows up, what are you going to do? And I love, we get the full picture here. He's afraid. He's like, man, this is overwhelming. This multitude is massive. They're too big for me. I can't face them and fight them on my own. And so he seeks God. Why? Because his heart was towards the Lord. He was afraid, but he seeks the Lord. And I love what he does next. He's public in front of all of his people. He's this great leader, but he's public about his need for help. I would encourage you to read verses 5 through 12. He stands up in front of all the people and he says, we're going to seek God together. And then he cries out and he lays out his whole heart. And it culminates in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? He's saying, oh God, help us. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat was willing to say publicly, I'm powerless and I don't know what to do, but God, my eyes are on you. Friends, that's how we need to live in this moment, but that's how we need to live in all of life's difficult moments. I believe many of my friends right now are facing challenges that go far beyond the coronavirus. Family issues, medical struggles, financial troubles, um, difficulty in relationships and marriages. Those are the battles at our doorstep. And the reality is we might be powerless in those things. We might be overwhelmed by the trouble that we're facing and we might not know what to do. That is all right. Seek the Lord. Turn your eyes towards him. Do Do you see what Jehoshaphat's doing here? The scripture told us, remember at the beginning, that God is seeking the whole land, looking for someone whose heart is towards him. And Jehoshaphat is saying, God, my heart is towards you. You, You're seeking me. I'm seeking you. My eyes are fixed on you. I wait to see what you will have us do. And the story unfolds. It's this classic story. I would encourage you to read it. It's incredible. But in the midst of this, a prophet stands up. A little fun nugget for you if you've been following the weekly devotionals. It's one of the sons of Asaph, five generations later. This legacy of worship continues, and this worshiper stands up, and he says, here's what God's saying. He's telling you, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, 17, you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord will be with you. He says, God is going to fight your battles. Stand firm. Hold on and see his salvation.
You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be dismayed. God is fighting on your behalf. That's my God. That's your God. He loves us and he fights for us. And so the story unfolds and they go out singing. They put the worshipers in the front of the army and they worship God all the way towards the battle lines. And when they arrive at the scene, they discover the enemy's been defeated because the minute they started worshiping, verse 22 tells us, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. They looked to the Lord, they worshiped the Lord, they trusted the Lord, and he routed their enemy. And so verse 27 now, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Praise God. And verse 30 says, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Friends, victory and peace and rest, they're not found in our own brilliance, and they're not found in an unholy alliance. Where they are found is in humbly relying upon our God, having our hearts turned towards Him, inviting His Spirit to come have rule and reign in my life, and then that may permeate my home, and that I might be an extension of Jesus, an extension of His kingdom in His heart to a world in need. Let's fight that battle right now, the battle at our doorstep. How can we let Jesus be in charge in my life? How can I let him reign in my home? And how can I be a carrier of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the presence of God to a world in need? Truly, 2 Chronicles 16.9 still stands, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. God, I acknowledge that in my, my own ways all the time, I slip into fleshly living. God, I align myself with ways of thinking that aren't right. God, I look for answers in places where they can't be found. I align myself with things that aren't even you people who aren't even in your kingdom, who don't truly walk with you, follow you, trust you. God, the truth is you're my king and I want to be in your kingdom. And God, I need your presence and your might, your strength that shows up on behalf of those whose hearts are towards you. God, I need your grace in my life. And so Holy Spirit, would you come once again? God, would you maybe reveal to me and to my friends, ways maybe we've been living according to the flesh. We've been walking in envy or jealousies. We've been dealing with drunkenness, just trying to tune it all out and forget it all. Or maybe we're in the fight, but it's the wrong fight. And we've been in anger and strife and dissension and arguing. 
Holy Spirit, instead, we invite you to come to be in charge, to be king. And would you replace the anger and the strife and the envy with love and joy and peace. God, with your very presence. Lord, thank you that you are strong on our behalf. God, we purpose to have our hearts turned towards you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, friends, I love you. I'm praying for you. Let's live this week with our hearts towards the Lord. We'll see you guys again soon.